God is great, amen? amen. All right, if you'll remain standing and for our scripture reading this morning and turn to the book of Philippians. We'll be reading Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, as that is the text of Pastor Bruce's sermon this morning. If you need a pew Bible, there's one in front of you. You can find it on page 1,165. Once again, it's Philippians 2, and it will be verses four, chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, as Pastor Bruce continues in his sermon series Philippians in Philippians, Joy in the Journey. So follow along as I read verses 14 through 18 of chapter 2. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Philippians. We thank you for Pastor Bruce and his study of the book and uh, his preaching, uh, what's on his heart, what you've laid on his heart, and what you've provided in, in your word for us. Nessie, we would have, uh, just be with Pastor Bruce as he brings the message this morning. And Lord, that you would just uh, work through him and, uh, and work in our midst and help us to be just continually in your word and changed by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Hip-hop music. I don't know how many fans there are of hip-hop music here this morning. Not typically a genre of music that uh, I enjoy. In fact, probably rarely enjoy. And yet I did appreciate what Christian hip-hop artist William Branch, also known as the ambassador, said about the hip-hop culture. And I quote, Hip-hop knows glory. They know that glory is meant to be seen. Glory is meant to be displayed. Hip-hop has an embedded conviction. If you come from nothing and finally get everything, flaunt it. Thus we hear slang terms like floss, swag, and shine. So if you got it, flaunt it. Or in the words of the New Orleans-based rap crew Cash Money, get your shine on. And here in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is somewhat telling us the same thing. To get your shine on by making the glory of Christ in the gospel known in a dark and dying world. Now Paul has just commanded, as we saw last Sunday, he's just commanded us here in verses 12 and 13 of Philippians chapter 2 to to work out something. In particular, to work out our salvation, to work out what God is working in us. And so what does that now look like to work out our salvation. And while it certainly means living like Jesus, it certainly means having the mind of humility that Christ had that we saw earlier in verses 6 through 11, Paul now moves on in these verses here, 14 through 16, to describe for us what it actually looks like to work out your salvation, to work out what God works in you. We might summarize it this way in your notes coming up on the screen. As children of God, here is the big idea that Paul is telling us in these verses. This is his main point, his main emphasis. He's saying, as children of God, stop whining like the world and start shining like stars in the world. And so Paul is challenging us here to do something. 
It's working out our salvation, but in particular, specifically, he's challenging us to stop whining like the world whines. Sam Gordon wrote tongue-in-cheek, The Lord created the world in six days, rested on the seventh day, and then on the eighth day started taking complaints. Jeff Mannion writes, You don't ever have to extend an invitation for complaint to show up in your life. It arrives as an uninvited guest. It moves into your guest bedroom, unpacks its luggage, and starts a load of dirty laundry. Even as you seek to dislodge complaint out of your house, it moves its bags to the curb, and you change the locks. It crawls back through the guest room window. Complaint resists eviction. Oh, how true that is in our hearts. Our hearts naturally and easily just drift, just slide right into complaining. And so we are... We're champions at complaining. And we complain about everything. We complain about the weather. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too humid. It's too windy. I can't believe it snowed in April. Doesn't God know it's springtime here in Kansas City? We complain about the traffic, the driver in front of us going too slow, the driver behind us riding our bumper, the driver who cuts us off, the driver who doesn't see the light turn green because he's looking at his phone. Honk, honk. We complain about road construction that takes forever. I mean, the I-435 bridge, I think, is going on 10 years now. I complain about it every time I have to cross it. We grumble about our jobs, mean bosses, and lazy co-workers. We gripe about our family, our spouse, our parents, our kids. We even complain about our church, the pastor, people, ministries, music, small groups, and youth group. We complain about it. We complain about long lines, noisy neighbors, cold food, dead phones, high prices, and yes, it's high. High gas prices, high food prices, tight clothes, large crowds. We grumble about the car that needs repaired again. We grumble about the laundry that needs washing again, the yard that needs mowing again, the country that's going down the tubes, and the list just goes on and on and on. We complain about everything. Now, the world has nothing to do but complain. Why? Because the world has no way of dealing with life because they don't know God. They don't know the grace of God. They don't know the goodness of God. So they have nothing better to do than complain. But as children of God, Paul is telling us, We should be different. Shine, not wine. In fact, grumbling, it is the opposite of the Christ-like attitude that we are told to have in verses 6 through 11. And so Paul says here in these verses, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. But I'll be honest with you, and I think you would agree with me, doing all things without grumbling, it requires nothing less than the grace of God at work in our hearts. Listen, this command that Paul's giving us here, it is so contrary to our human nature that it is unattainable without God's work in our lives. But that's the whole point of the previous verses, verses 12 and 13, when Paul says, work 
out what God is working in you. And so perhaps the reason we are complaining so much is because we are neglecting to work out what God is working in. So let's unpack what Paul says about shining like stars instead of complaining like the world. Number one, here's the command. It's plain, it's simple, it's easy to understand, oh so hard to obey. Don't whine about anything in life. That is the command. Don't whine about anything in life. And let's be honest, this is one of the most disobeyed commands in all the Bible among God's people. I'm guilty. As John Walbert writes, the exhortation, do all things without grumbling or disputing, although very simple and direct, it constitutes a sweeping command rarely obeyed by most Christians. And remember the context here in which Paul's writing this. Christ has been exalted as sovereign Lord over all the universe. And so let me ask you a question in relation to that. Are you bucking the Lord of the universe with a little grumbling here and a little disputing there? Paul says, it's interesting, he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, I wish Paul had been a bit more realistic. I wish he would have said, do some things without grumbling or disputing. That's realistic. I mean, I can actually do that, but all things That's rather impossible. Can Paul actually mean all things as in everything? Yes. Paul doesn't allow us to to pick and choose some things that we will do without grumbling or disputing. And so Paul's point is that absolutely nothing is to be done in the spirit of complaining or grumbling. Again, let me ask, do you give yourself a pass to sin in this particular area? When something happens that's not to your liking, or when something doesn't happen that you expect or you want, do you complain about it? Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. So what exactly does he talking about here, grumbling and disputing? Well, notice this in your notes. Grumbling simply refers to murmuring in a low voice to express dissatisfaction or displeasure. It's often accompanied by feelings of annoyance and even anger. And logically speaking, grumbling almost always leads, if it's not taken care of, if it's not dealt with by the power of the Lord, His Spirit dwelling within us, working out our salvation. If we don't deal with complaining and grumbling, it almost always then leads to disputing. And disputing refers to arguing, bickering, or quarreling that's divisive. It's verbal disagreement that now stirs up distrust and doubt in others or in the church. Sometimes complaining expresses itself in whispers of grumbling And other times it rises to vocal disputing. Now, there is absolutely nothing good to say about either grumbling or disputing. Because both of these are sin. Now, we live in a culture that does not see complaining like God sees complaining. In fact, we live in a culture that wants to minimize complaining, even rationalize complaining. But the sin of grumbling, let me tell you, is a pet peeve of God's. 
All you got to do is go to the Old Testament and just look at the children of Israel after their exodus out of Egypt. They grumbled because they were in Egypt. They grumbled after they had been set free out of Egypt. They grumbled because they had nothing to eat. And then they grumbled that all they had to eat was manna coming from God. They grumbled against Moses and they even grumbled against God himself. The children of Israel grumbled for 40 years in the wilderness. In fact, at one point in their journey, it says in Numbers 11, verses 1 through 3. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. You realize God hears our complaining? God is not deaf to our complaining. He hears it. And then it says the fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. How frightening. Later on, God said of these people, the children of Israel, the Israelites, in Numbers 14, 26, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? In fact, the Israelites' biography in the wilderness is actually summarized by the psalmist in Psalm 106, 25, where he simply says, they murmured in their tents and they did not obey the voice of the Lord. That's a one-sentence biography of the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. I wonder, I wonder if the psalmist was here today, what he would write of you. What one-sentence biography would he pen for your life? Bruce grumbles in his house continually and does not obey the voice of the Lord. Think about it. Grumbling is incompatible with joy in the journey. A quote, grumbling, joyful person, that's an oxymoron. In fact, I've never seen a person who grumbles with joy in their heart. Show me that person. I've never seen that person before. And so you need to understand grumbling is a serious matter in the eyes of God. Grumbling is actually a declaration of pride against God. It comes from the self-centered notion that we're getting something in life that we don't think we deserve. Or we're not getting something in life that we do think we deserve. And so complaining is really, it is an attack on the sovereignty of God when it comes to his plans and his provisions in our lives. Every time you complain, you are really saying, if I were God, I would do things differently. And so God, you don't know better. You don't know what's best. Otherwise, you would do it differently. But that's when we need to remember the first rule of the spiritual life, as one pastor calls it. He's God and we're not. He's God and we're not. So why? Why are we so prone to grumble and argue? Here's the reason why, right out of our text in Philippians. It's because we forget. We forget. We are forgetful people. We forget two things in particular. We forget who we are. We are the children of God, and we forget what we have received in life, and that is the word of life. Paul calls these Philippian believers children of God in verse 15, and the reason that he can call them the children of God in verse 15 is because of they what they have received in verse 16. That is the word of life, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel, if we can summarize this way, is the good news that you can be made a child of God 
through faith in Christ's finished work on the cross. John 1.12 says, but to all who did receive him, receive Jesus Christ, receive the word of life, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But prior to our becoming children of God, what were we? Paul takes time to describe who we were, our state, our spiritual condition before Christ in Ephesians chapter 2, where he says we were dead in our sins. We were sons of disobedience. We were children of wrath, not children of God. But then what happened? God intervened in your life. He intervened in my life. He opened up my heart and my eyes to see who I am as a sinner, my need for Jesus Christ and the gospel. And so God intervened. And Paul later says in chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 4 and 5, he says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he what? He made us alive. Together with Christ. And then he says in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And so the gospel reminds us. Listen, this is why we, once we're saved, we don't forget the gospel. We need the gospel daily. We need the gospel continually. We need the gospel every day of our Christian lives. Because the gospel reminds us that we are far better off now than we ever were before. We are better off than we deserve. When we forget what we deserve, namely, eternal condemnation in hell, and what then we have received, when we forget that, and what have we received from God? Eternal life. That's when we start complaining. That's when we start thinking that we deserve better than what God is giving us. But when we remember who we are and what we have been given in the gospel, that's when we will live with gratitude in our hearts towards God. Listen, you lose sight of the gospel and we will go down the dark hole of grumbling and murmuring. Children of Israel complain when they lost sight of their redemption out of Egypt. And we will complain if we lose sight of our greater redemption found in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the command is clear. It is simple. Paul says, don't whine about anything in your life. Grumbling is an awful sin that is offensive to our God. This alone should serve as a sufficient reason to avoid it. But Paul goes on. He moves beyond this reason and he actually gives us a missional purpose for why we should avoid grumbling and disputing. And here's the purpose. Number two, look at it. So you will shine like stars in the world. So you will shine like stars in the world. Follow Paul's line of reasoning here. Notice what he says in verse 14 again. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? Why, Paul? He gives us the reason. Now notice the purpose in verse 15. That you may be blameless and innocent... Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights of the world. So here's the reason why avoid grumbling and arguing in our lives. Here's the reason why. So you don't damage your witness in the world. It's that simple. 
so you don't damage your witness in the world. Paul is saying that grumbling and arguing damage our witness in the world. Do you, have you ever thought about that? Do you realize that? In other words, if we're going to shine like stars in the world, we must avoid grumbling and arguing in our lives. And the reason is simple. When our conversations, when our speech is filled with grumbling and arguing, we lose our distinctiveness in the world. In other words, we're no different than the world who has nothing better than to do what? Than complain. We should expect nothing more from the world. When we hear our coworkers and neighbors complaining and they're unbelievers, that shouldn't surprise us. In fact, why would we expect any different? They don't have any way to deal with life. They don't know God and His grace and His goodness. But when we as children of God, who have received the word of life, when we complain, we lose our distinctiveness. We're no different than our neighbors and co-workers who complain. We're no different than unbelievers we live by and work with. In fact, Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 5.13. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And so grumbling causes us not only to lose our distinctiveness in the world, but also to lose our effectiveness in the world. Or as Jesus put it, our saltiness. Instead, Paul says, instead of grumbling and arguing, instead of that marking our lives... Paul says, listen, we should be blameless and innocent as children of God. That's what should mark our lives. Now, blameless here doesn't mean perfect. Anybody? I, nobody's here is perfect. So it doesn't mean perfect. Blameless here simply refers to one's integrity. Your integrity. Being who you say you are. So I'm assuming most of us here, we claim to be what? Children of God. But when we complain and grumble, our integrity is now in default mode. Or not default mode, but we're we're not living out our integrity because we're not living out who we claim to be as children of God. And innocent here refers to our purity. It's a word used to describe undiluted wine. In other words, don't contaminate your life with evil. Don't dilute your testimony by watering down your life with sin. And in this particular case, watering down your life with speech that's filled with grumbling and disputing or arguing. And then notice that Paul adds one more word to describe our conduct. He says, children of God without blemish. In other words, this this just refers to being above reproach, living above reproach in the eyes of the world. And so Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? So that you don't damage your witness in the world. So that you may be now blameless and innocent in the midst of the world. And Paul now tells us what the world is like in which we're living in the middle of. What is the condition of the world in which we're living? Well, he tells us here, notice it, the world in which we live. He says, we live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. A crooked and twisted generation. Now, Paul describes the first century in these words. And it's the same way that we can describe the 21st century in which we live today. Nothing has changed. We live, just like in Paul's day, Today, we live in the midst of a morally 
crooked and spiritually perverse world or generation. This word crooked, it comes from the Greek word skolios, which we get our English word scoliosis, which is a curvature of the spine. Crooked means that people don't live according to the straight, you've heard the straight and narrow, or a better word, according to the righteous path that God has ordained for our lives according to his word. Twisted is the idea of taking it a step further. Twisted is the idea of perverse or even depraved. It's the idea of deviation from that which is good, moral, and right. Twisted describes a person who is basically morally bankrupt and wicked to the core. This crooked and perverse generation is described in Proverbs 2, 13 through 15, where it says, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. That's the world in which we live. Who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversiveness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Listen, that is the generation, the culture in which we live. Paul writes about this too in Romans 1, 29 through 31, where he says, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. In other words, this generation in which we live among is crooked and perverse. And God has placed us right in the middle of it, Paul says. We live in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation. A generation that desperately needs the word of life. The gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's interesting, Peter in the book of Acts, his very first sermon he gets up to preach in Acts chapter 2. And at the end of his sermon, it says... He exhorts the people, the audience, and it's even in the present tense. So it's almost like Peter is, he's repeating this over and over again. Be saved from this perverse generation. Be saved from this perverse generation. Be saved from this perverse generation. How are you going to be saved? By the word of life, the gospel. And now Paul, he's exhorting us who have already been saved to do what? To stop whining and to start shining. Why? So that people now in this perverse generation might have the opportunity to be saved through our witness. In fact, Paul now, he goes on and describes our witness as twofold. It's twofold. Notice the first. He says, shine as bright lights in a dark world. The world is dark in which we live. So we should not blend into the world, but rather we should stand out from the world. In fact, stand out like bright stars in a dark sky. And in painting this vivid picture of of light and dark contrast between Christians and our culture that surrounds us and even scorns us, Paul uses the imagery from an Old Testament prophet named Daniel. He's actually quoting Daniel here. Now, you might remember Daniel was a young man, a teenage boy, who was exiled to Babylon because of the sins of the children of Israel, the Israelites. He, but as a young man, he was faithful. He determined in his heart, I am not going to lose my integrity. 
he determined, I'm going to be a faithful man living in the midst of a crooked and perverse culture in the midst of Babylon. And now later on in his life, towards the end, in Daniel chapter 12, Daniel describes the resurrection age when he writes in verse 3, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Matt Harmon gives this insight on this particular verse here. In a quote, he says, Paul borrows the phrase, shine like stars, to make a stunning theological point. Because believers are in Christ, they have already, they are already experiencing in the present what Daniel 3 promised. The death and resurrection of Jesus have inaugurated the latter days, and as a result, believers now have experienced the spiritual resurrection in being brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. And because of their transformed lives, they shine in the midst of a world that remains under the curse, subject to the powers of the flesh, sin, and the devil. In other words, through the power of Christ's resurrection. We... We've been what? We have been brought out of the trespasses of our sins. We have been brought out of spiritual death to spiritual life. We have been brought out of darkness in this world to, into the light of Jesus Christ. And now, because that's who we are, Paul says we now shine as bright lights in this dark world. Peter even picks up on this, and he writes in 1 Peter 2.9 that we have, been, we have been brought out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Paul writes in Ephesians 5.8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Live as children of light. Jesus said in Matthew 5.14, You are the light of the world. Here's the point. As children of God, our mission is to shine as bright lights in a dark world. We should not blend in, but stand out like bright stars in a dark sky. So, question. How's that going? Are are we standing out like bright stars in a dark sky? This is Paul's concern. And in particular, is Paul's concern as it relates to our grumbling. We will shine like stars when our speech is free from grumbling and dispute. And in this year, year of these dumb maths, I'm guilty. We will shine big time. Year of restrictions, covid You name it, year of everything. And so what an opportunity that we have for making an eternal difference in someone's life simply by speaking a different language from that of our culture. Replacing grumbling and disputing with gratitude and praise. But when, our, when we grumble and dispute, you realize we are wasting the opportunity to actually shine forth the goodness and grace of God by blending right into the darkness of the world. You've heard the term, there's good advertising, there's bad advertising. 
We ought, to, we ought to just sit and evaluate which one am I when it comes to the grace and goodness of God. When we, when we pepper our days with expressions of gratitude instead of grumbling, listen, we are advertising with bright lights the goodness and grace of God in the gospel. And so Paul is exhorting us here. In fact, it's a command to stop whining like the world does and to start shining as bright lights in this dark world in which we live. But there's a second part of this twofold witness of ours. It's not just that we shine as bright lights. As we are shining as bright lights, we also do something. Paul says, hold out the word of life to a dying world. Paul says at the beginning of verse 16, look at it. Small little phrase here where he says, holding fast to the word of life. Now, this phrase, holding fast, it can be translated one of two ways. You can either translate it as holding firm, holding firm, or holding forth. So it's either holding firm or holding forth. One of two ways. So it could mean you're holding firm to something. In this case, the word of life. Which is true. We must hold firm to the word of life. Listen, we don't get saved one day and then let it go. We hold firm to it. But it can also mean holding forth the word of life as to offer something to someone in need. And I believe both these things are true. And so as we shine like stars in this dark world, in dying world, we have a platform to offer the word of life. You say, what is the word of life? I've hinted at it already. The word of life is not your life in particular. It's not even your righteousness. Listen, neither your life nor your righteousness will save no one from their sins. The word of life is the gospel. It's the word that gives life in Jesus Christ who is life. Peter was correct when he said in John 6, 68, in response to Jesus Christ, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter believed what Jesus had promised later on in John 8, 12, where Jesus says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so as we shine like stars, we are to hold forth or hold out the life-giving hope of the gospel to this dying world. At the same time, listen to me, listen, we can only, we can only hold forth what we are holding firm to ourselves. So don't turn loose of the gospel in a dark world. Don't stop holding forth the gospel to a dying world either. Listen, the gospel is the world's only hope. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to those who believe, according to what Paul writes in Romans 1.16. We could summarize it all this way. Paul wants us, as children of God, to be proclaiming Christians, not complaining Christians. If we complain like the world, and then, at the same time, we try to proclaim the word of life, we are confusing In fact, we're even hypocritical. And so let us fill our speech with gratitude and grace as we hold out the word of life to a dying world. This, 
This is what Paul says in Philippians 1.27. This is what it means now to, to live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel that he commands us to do. And yet, listen, I understand it. I get it because I'm tempted in the same ways here. Faced daily, hourly, faced with living in this dark world of ours, faced with living in a dying world. Listen, it is so easy to be paralyzed by dismay, despair, and discouragement. However, there's another way for us to view the cultural decay surrounding us. In 1969, at the age of 66, the English journalist and social commentator Malcolm Muggeridge abandoned agnosticism and came to faith in Christ. At the age of 66, it's quite a story. A decade later, so he's now 76, he described the decadence of Western society. But he did so with a surprising note of hope that is just as relevant for us here today. Listen to what he says. Let us then, as Christians, rejoice that we see around us on every hand the decay of the institutions and instruments of power, that we see indications of empires falling to pieces, money in total disarray, dictators and parliamentarians alike perplexed by the confusion and conflicts which encompass them. For it is precisely when every earthly hope has been explored and found wanting. That's where we are in this world of ours. When every resource this world offers, moral as well as material, has been explored to no effect. When in the shivering cold, the last twig has been thrown on the fire, and in the gathering darkness, every glimmer of light has finally flickered out. It's then, he says, that Christ's hand reaches out sure and firm. Then Christ's words bring inexpressible comfort. Then his light shines brightest, abolishing the darkness forever. What's Malcolm saying? He's saying the same thing that Paul is saying. Both are saying that as children of God, listen to me, we we have every reason to stop whining. Like the world does. And to start shining like stars in this world in which we live. Now Paul, Paul was a great example of this. And so he ends this whole section by drawing our attention to his life. It's interesting because he kind of starts out in chapter 1 by telling us about his life. And, and then he draws application and commands to our lives. And now he ends, begins to end by drawing it back to his life. And although Paul, listen, if there was ever somebody that had every reason to complain, it was Paul. He's sitting in a Roman prison, no fault of his own. And yet he uses his chains, as we've already learned, as a platform to shine as a bright light in a dark world and to hold out the gospel to a dying world. Look what it says again in verses 16 through 18. Here's Paul's summary of it. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Oh. 
that one sentence, it just cuts to the heart. The conviction it brings to my soul and hopefully to yours. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And so what an awesome example of living for Christ and doing so without regret, without grumbling. And so here's the application for our own lives. Notice it. It's an easy application. Without going into an explanation of everything Paul is saying here, here's the application. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life complaining and grumbling. Instead, live worthy of the gospel so that you may rejoice in the day of Christ. Listen, there are a lot of things in this world you can waste your life on. You realize that? There are a gazillion things in this world, to waste your life on, and sadly, far too many people do, even Christians. But if you want to make your life count, then live worthy of the gospel. And Paul says, if you will commit to doing that, that in the day of Christ, when he returns, you'll do what? You will rejoice. Oh, that we will be able to say like Paul in the day of Christ, I did not run in vain or labor in vain. I did not waste my life on things in this world. And I did not waste my witness grumbling about my life in this world. But rather, I lived worthy of the gospel, pouring out my life for Christ. A life that God redeemed by His grace as a testimony to His grace at work in my life. And did you just happen to notice how many times Paul sounds the note of joy in these last two verses? Ding, 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 ding. He is sounding that note of joy. Four different times he sounds, he rings that note of joy. Again, if your life, listen to me, if it is marked by complaining and grumbling, then more than likely you are a joyless person. Grumbling never leads to joy in the journey. It just leads to misery in your life. Joy is the result of living worthy of the gospel without grumbling. So let me ask, do you complain and grumble? That's a dumb question because we all do, right? We all do. But for some of you, that's your way of life. That's how you respond to the difficulties and disappointments in life. Your first reaction, your first response is you complain and grumble. And if that's you, more than likely you are a joyless child of God. Which in and of itself is an oxymoron. And I pray that you see just how damaging your grumbling is to your witness in the world. And I pray that you are convicted by the seriousness of the sin in God's eyes. And that you will repent and receive the forgiveness of God that he offers freely to you through Jesus Christ.
Remember, you've been redeemed by the grace of God. And so as children of God, let us here this morning, let us stop whining like the world and start shining like stars in the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word here in Philippians. Thank you for your grace at work in our lives. And Father, help us to be convicted about our complaining and grumbling and to see how damaging it is to our witness in the world. Help us to shine like stars in a dark world, holding forth the hope of life in the gospel to a dying world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wow, that was a hard message. That was hard for me to study and prepare this week. I admit it. Do all things without complaining and disputing. And I'm like, oh, my word. Really, Lord, I've got to stand up and try to preach that? But you know what? After I thought about that, I'm like, you know what? The grace of God and the goodness of God. He's at work in my heart. And he's at work in your heart if you're a child of God. And so don't walk out of here thinking, that is an impossible command to attain. It's not if, if we're children of God who are working out what God works in.